Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Well, open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Hebrews. It's toward the back of your Bibles. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. If you get to 1 Peter or 2 Peter, you've gone too far, and it's past 1 and 2 Timothy. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. Before we dive in, I want to give you guys a quick update where we've been in it as a church, what we've been preaching on, and, and where we're going. And so this is our eighth week and our final uh, sermon in the call. And so we've been looking uh, at what it is that Christians are called to. We understand we're called from darkness to light, but what exactly does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What are we called to? We've looked at prayer, we've looked at evangelism, we've looked at holiness, spiritual maturity, and all these things. And this morning we're going to wrap up with a, a Christian is called to accountability. I told Ronnie that we're ending this sermon series with accountability, and his words were, that ought to be a really popular one. So I'm not expecting it to necessarily be the most popular one, but this is where we're ending this morning with the call to accountability. And so we, we've understood this, that what we believe and what we preach week in and week out at Gospel Community Church is the gospel. It is the good news, not of what we do to earn favor or merit with God, but what Christ has done in our place to earn merit and favor with God. We don't climb a ladder to get to God. We understand that God sent his son to do and perform the things that we could not. And so we put our trust and faith in him. But we do understand behavior does not impact our, uh, I'm sorry, behavior does not get us this relationship with God, but behavior does impact our relationship with God, just like it would in our marriages and our other relationships. So we're looking at these things. Next week, just to give you guys a a heads up, because I like you guys to uh, get get ahead of of your reading and know where we're going as a church, uh, where we're headed for our summer preaching series is this. We're going to spend the next five weeks in the book of Malachi. So it's four chapters. Next week, we're just going to do the the intro, and then I believe it's the first five verses of uh, Malachi chapter one. And so then we're going to do the next, uh, we're going to finish up chapter one the next week, and then we're going to finish the other three chapters the following weeks to come. And so It takes about 20 minutes to read the book of Malachi as a whole, and so I would encourage you guys to read it as a whole. The series is titled Empty Religion because we're looking at uh, the Israelites as what they were doing was empty religion, and what they were doing is just going through the motions. So they were doing, in a sense, the right things, but from a dead heart. And so we're going to look at that and look at the way that practically plays out in our lives in the 21st century as well. And so after that, we're going to look at a a sermon series called Tracing the Root. And so we're going to get to what the root of our idols is. And so uh, jealousy and pride and a lot of these surface things that come up in our life are are normally driven by a a deeper root of idolatry. So we're going to look at what those are, uh, generally stemming from comfort, power, control, or approval. And so none of this is new or original to me. And so uh, we'll give you guys the reading uh, schedule for that as the time gets near. But for now, we'd ask that you read ahead and Check out the book of Malachi. So this morning, call to accountability, Hebrews chapter 3. Just three short verses, 12 through 14. I'm going to read it and then we'll pray. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let's pray. Father, I know what's not popular in our culture is to be challenged, is to be uh, exhorted. Father, I pray that, uh, that what we would desire is to grow deeper in our relationship with you, but the way that you have uh, 
Father designed and created this uh, Christian walk is through a Christian family and through people that look out for one another, that care for one another, that encourage one another, but also that exhort and challenge one another. Here in this passage before and after, uh, the author gives us this challenge not to harden our hearts today, and I pray that for everyone in this room, we would not harden our heart to you and to your word today, Father. As someone who pushes back towards rules and authority, I confess it is not my natural tendency to to listen and want to obey. But Father, I pray you would soften my heart and I would pray you would soften everyone's hearts here to know these words were given by a good God who sent his son to rescue and redeem us and to empower us with the spirit to obey what your word has commanded. I pray you would slow us down. I pray you would calm us down. I pray in the midst of craziness going on in our lives and our families and everything else, you would help us to be present right now. Spirit, move and speak. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. About a month ago, our family took a trip to Reno, and uh, we were driving along, and we got into Lassen Park, which is uh, in the state of California, and it's just kind of a long stretch of nothingness. It's really pretty, but it's just a bit of a boring drive through the mountains. You lose cell phone service, and so you have to actually rely upon conversations and stuff like that. And so there, there we were in the mountains, and I was falling asleep. And I looked at my wife, and I was like, I just can't hang anymore, and I need a nap. Like, just give me 20 minutes. I'm normally good with like a 20-minute afternoon power nap, and then I can rock and roll. But, but I need that. And so I, I was losing it. So, uh, so your pastor is, is weak, so we'll start there. And so I said, can, can, can you swap, swap me places? Just give me 20 minutes. And she was like, sure. And so I swap over, and... I have this gift to be able to fall asleep in like 30 seconds when I'm in, in the afternoon. So I, I'm out and uh, I, I wake up. I don't know how, mu- how much longer it was to my wife saying, hey, I'm like, yeah. She's like, I'm pretty sure I'm getting pulled over. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. And I turn around, I'm like, yeah, since we're the only car on this road <laughs> and there's a cop behind us with his lights on, it does look like we're getting pulled over. I was like, how fast were you going? She's like, uh, like 85. And I'm like, 85? <laughs> uh, okay. So we pull over and, uh, and <laughs> man, I'll just be honest, but <laughs> my wife has never had a ticket before or any marks on a record, and that's not the case for me. And so part of me was like, yeah. <laughs> I was. I'm like, <laughs> I think I said, welcome to the club, you know? So she gets her ticket, and she's like, pridefully, <laughs> she said to the police officer, she's like, thank you for giving me my first ticket ever. And he looks at her and goes, you earned it. And so <laughs> I, I say that to say that I could quickly go, it's your fault. You fell asleep, or uh, you were driving, I was asleep, and, and you, you got our family this nice California ticket. This is all your fault. But here's the reality, is that I was the one that took a nap. I was the one that fell asleep. I was the one that was not keeping my wife awake or talking with her or doing anything like that. I was, in a sense, present but also absent from anything going on. And the reality is what we're talking about this morning is that same reality can be true in, in the lives of, uh, of, of the Christian family, is we can be present to what is going around but also absent from anything. And so there's this sin called commission where we commit a sin against God, but there's also the sin of omission where we omit ourselves from doing the things that God is calling us to do, like challenge and encourage and exhort one another. And so instead of me just being mad at my wife for this ticket, 
in all reality, it's equally just as much my fault because I was just laying in the passenger seat, uh, seat asleep, not doing anything. And in the same way, when our brothers and sisters are doing something that, that, that could cause uh, a slow spiritual death or a fast spiritual death or anything like that, and we just sit by, then we are held responsible for that. In fact, we won't read it this morning, but if you read the book of Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 16 through 21, there is a strong challenge. I mean, a strong challenge. I would encourage you to read Ezekiel 3, 16 through 21, about what it looks like to sit by and watch evil happen and do nothing about it. So this morning, we are going to look at what it looks like for the Christian to be called to accountability. And what I mean by that is that we are called to hold others accountable. We are also ourselves are called to be held accountable. So let's dive in. Chapter 3, verse 12. The author of Hebrews says this, take care. What this means is watch out. So, more literally, what's being communicated here is watch out, brothers. Watch out. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And I would say this, that all sin boils down to, to unbelief. In fact, one pastor I love, Jeff Vanderstelt, when he sits around his table of elders, they talk and he says, let's start off with this truth that everyone around this table is an unbeliever. And what he means by that is, yes, we have believed in Jesus Christ. We've submitted to Jesus Christ. But there's areas of our lives that we're not fully believing in and trusting the good news of Jesus Christ. There's areas of our lives that we're not fully believing. And I would say in those areas of unbelief is where our sin comes out. So unbelief is the root to all sin. It's because there's areas in, in, in our life that we're not trusting God and it's areas in our life that we're not believing that Christ has either done enough or he can be enough to satisfy us. Un, un, unbelief would, would look like this. If I want the approval of another human being and I think that their approval is what's going to satisfy me, then what I'm not believing, so I have unbelief because I'm not believing that God's full approval of me that he offers in Jesus Christ is enough. And so at that point, I'm not believing God, and I'm not believing that the approval that he offers me in Christ is enough, so I have disbelief. And what I believe is that the approval of another human being is what's going to satisfy the soul or the whole inside of my heart. And so that is an area of disbelief that plays, plays out probably practically for most people in this room as we continue believing that the approval of someone else or the control that we could get would satisfy us. That's stemming from unbelief. And I would say this, is that we can look at sin and, and, and we've even put categories in there that the Bible doesn't have called white, uh, uh, um, white lies and, and basically nice sin, right? Nice sin and then dark sin or nice sin and then ugly sin. Like, uh, hey, did you like the meal that I cooked, right? And we would call that, that's a white lie because at that point we, could, we, we have an opportunity to say, loved it when you did not or hated it, which could cause a fight, right? Just as a, this is free, I'm not going to charge you for it. You can just say unbelievable, and that'll buy you some time. <laughs> he says, take care, brothers, lest there be any evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from God. Let me say this. There's a reason there's drugs called gateway drugs. Because people don't typically start with the hard stuff. They start with small stuff, and they venture in. What we typically do with sin is we start with something small, and then we venture in. And then I would say that sin actually develops and grows like a snowball. For those of you guys that have ever played with one, as, as soon as you start to roll down a hill, it doesn't have mo mo much momentum. It's not very big. But as soon as you continue to roll, it, it, it builds in size. It builds in momentum, and it builds in destructive power. That's why when the Bible talks about uh, get out the leaven that leavens the lump, a modern-day example of that is, is sin grows in our body like a cancer that, that, that takes over and, and can actually destroy us. And so 
our problem is, is that we have this, it's no big deal or it's just a small sin, but I would say it's the small sins where the door creeps open and then they get bigger and bigger and bigger until the door swings wide open. You have to understand this. That when we look at the story of David and Goliath, it's not that David just started off as a murderer, killing his close friend Uriah. There were steps that got David to where he was. What that was is that was sexual immorality. That was lust running its full course. It led him to, I have a little bit, but it's not enough, and so I need more. And now I need more, and now I need more. So much so that his sin led him to kill someone who was faithfully standing by his side. He didn't just get there like that. It was the progression that got him there. It was unchecked sin. It was an area of unbelief. It was an evil that lied inside his heart, but it was an evil that, that, that he continued to feed and that grew. And so that's why he's saying, watch out, lest there be in any of you an, an, an evil, an unbelieving heart, an area of your heart where you're not trusting that God is enough. That, that, that area right now for everyone in this room where, where I'm talking about this, and you know this is probably the area where I have unbelief in my heart. I'd say that's the area that I would watch out. There's no one in this room who's impervious to this command to watch out. You, you need to hear that. There's no one in this room who it's, hey, watch out, but I'm the, uh, I'm the exception to the rule. This, that, this is for me, this is for all of us here that, that, that the author of Hebrews is saying this, watch out. That's why Proverbs talks about this. But Proverbs 12:15 says, the way of a fool is he is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So if you started off with, that's probably not me, or I don't think I'll get there, or I don't know that, that my sin will run that course, uh, will run that course, I would say there's no one in here that's, that's the exception to the rule, period. It will run its course, and it does run its course. We, I mean, we see this with the apostles as well. What else is going on here? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away, he says, from the living God. What does he mean by this? Or how do we fall away from the living God? Or how do we know if we're falling away from the living God? It would be this, if you actually read this whole passage, which we're not going to, it would give you more of a context before and after this, the author of Hebrews actually gives this charge. Read at the beginning of uh, verse 7 in chapter 3, he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, today, whatever today's date is, Gospel Community Church, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion on the testing of the, of the wilderness. He says that. But then look what he also says in verse 15. So sandwiched in between this is where we're at today, but around this is also this. As it is said, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What does he mean? One of the biggest signs that you are falling away from God, from the living God, or you have an unbelieving heart, is that your heart starts to get hardened by sin. You, you can start off with sin, and, and, and initially you feel that conviction, but that starts to go away. And then what, has, what, what, what eventually happens is that you become hardened, and so hardened, and so hardened, that you hear less and less and less, receive less and less and less of God's word and what other people are trying to point out to you. It's so much so that you get to where you just don't listen. And I would encourage you right now today, if that is you, and you're already struggling to listen, and you're already checking out, there's a reason why the author of Hebrews, but ultimately the ultimate author, God has said this. Please do not harden your heart today. Please watch out. Please take note. Please listen. Another sign that people are falling away is doing what Israel did in the wilderness. What did they do? In spite of all of God's blessings, in spite of the pillar that he led them with, 
in spite of manna falling down from heaven, in spite of God not allowing their shoes and their clothing to wear out, I mean feeding them and taking care of them day in and day out, they complained and grumbled. And I would say complaining, I wouldn't say this, Richard Phelps would say this, he says a complaining spirit is always an indicator of unbelief. Douglas Wilson says this, complain is the flag of ingratitude and it waves, lo- and it waves at the center of unbelieving hearts. Richard Phelps goes on to say as well that complaining is a symptom of a deeper spiritual problem. If we grumble and complain we, uh, and if we rebel and revolt, it indicates a very poor knowledge of God. So one of the ways that we can harden our hearts, one of the ways that there's an evil that can exist, we can be unbelieving, is to complain. Israel did this. Jonathan Edwards talks about trials actually show what's really in our hearts. And sometimes what we actually want is the gifts from God more than we actually want the giver himself. And what that realizes is that's a unbelief that God is enough and a belief that the gifts that God can offer is actually enough. So he's saying, watch out for all these things. Watch out for these signs. Watch out for these symptoms. Watch out for people today that don't listen. Watch out for people today that are complaining and that are grumbling amidst the blessings that is going on that God provides. I think one thing that we have to address, we have to address is this, is that there's, we, we need to address the symptom of the human heart. Because if we don't address that and, and, and address what the Bible has to say about the human heart, then our typical response, especially if you're new to Christianity or if you're here and you're non-Christian, is just to go, I'm a pretty good person. And so our problem is, is that we might not think our, ca- our hearts are capable of such a thing if we don't have an accurate picture of how God's Word talks about our hearts. And so Jeremiah 17, 19, or 17, 9 says this. Listen, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Ephesians 4, 22 tells us, apart from God's saving work, we are corrupted with lust, the lust of deceit. Romans 3, 12 says, there is no one good who does good, not even one. And so for the author to say this, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, the, the, the honest person, the person who can hear and can reflect honestly knows this, that as Richard Phillips also says, that we, we need to be cautious to even trust our own hearts because the desires of our heart are also wicked. And so unless we know that, 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 that our hearts have that proclivity to wander, and unless we know that is something that we are all capable of is to wander, then we will, then, then we will put an over amount of trust in our own hearts. That our, tr- that, that our hearts, according to Scripture, don't even warrant. Verse 13, he says this, what do we do now? If our hearts are so prone to becoming ensnared by sin, to being deceived, to being led astray, to, to having unbelief, what do we do as Christians? I think that would be a good question if someone preached verse 12 alone. We would say, well, what do we do? What do you have for us, preacher? And the author has this. He says, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he says this, take care, brothers. Watch out. And, 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 and then so the response is, well, what do we do? He, well, he goes, exhort one another. It's like that simple. He goes, exhort one another. What does exhort mean here? The Greek word is parakaleho. And so para, the, the prefix means to come alongside. And kaleho means to call out. And so what it's saying here is, is but come alongside of one another and call out. The same word, the same Greek word is actually used 
in chapter 10 of Hebrews, and it's synonymous for encourage. So encourage one another daily. So it can be both. Exhortation takes on two forms. It takes on a challenge, but it also takes on an encouragement. And so notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, but exhort one another once a month, or but exhort one another once a week. It says, but exhort one another every day. Oh my goodness, that is a tall order. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened. We can't swing in one way or the other too much. So if you're someone in this room who's just like a natural police officer that can spot wrong like crazy in other people, then maybe you need to grow in what it looks like to encourage others. If, if you are someone who tends to be more passive and avoid any sort of confrontation, that maybe where you need to grow is, is that you've been sinning by omission, by omitting yourselves. You need to step into challenging and exhorting some people. But it does say that we are called as Christians to do this every day, which would also imply this. You can't be a sneak in and sneak out type of Christian. Meaning you can't show up late to church and then leave early once a week. There is more involvement going on here if you read this verse. There is more involvement. It's a taller order. It, 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 it's it's going to mean this, that if you are moving towards some level of discomfort in community, you're probably moving in the right direction. If you have no discomfort in your lives or you've moved away from it, there's probably too much safety. There isn't an age where this stops. Like, I'm 80, you still need to be held accountable. I'm 18, still need to be held accountable. Still called to this. I like what Tim Keller says. Everyone says they want community and friendship, but mention accountability or commitment to people and they run the other way. I think that's true. Accountability is hard. True community is hard. Exhorting one another and, and encouraging one another daily is hard. If you are married and you are in this room, I would encourage you to take this verse seriously and focus on encouraging your spouse. If you are involved in a gospel community, I would encourage you to take this verse seriously and focus on encouraging and exhorting one another. I've heard pastors say that the reason they stayed in ministry so long is because they actually had people around them that were really good at this. But what we also don't need to, to end verse 13, we don't need cheerleaders in the Christian faith. We don't need people coming along just giving us good games and high fives. There are times where we need a cheerleader, where, where we are beaten down, even as Brian was saying this morning, and, and, and we feel that. We feel our physical weakness, and we are hurting and we are grieving. That's not the appropriate time to come along and say, i got a challenge for you. You look apathetic. You're like Eeyore. It's in times like that we come alongside and encourage people. We wrap our arms around people. We love people. That takes work, Christians, but this is what we're called to do. I want to grow in this as a pastor. Leave this verse with what John Calvin said. As by nature we are prone to fall into evil, we have need of various helps to help us in the, uh, in the fear of God. Unless our faith is repeatedly encouraged, listen, unless our faith is repeatedly encouraged, it lies dormant. Unless it is warmed, it grows cold. Unless it is aroused, it gets numb. The writer of Hebrews therefore wishes them to stimulate one another by mutual encouragement so that Satan will not steal into the heart's and by his falsehood, lead them away from God. Christianity is a team effort. It's not a Lone Ranger individual sport. Verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So he says, watch out. He says, here's your command. Here's what you do. But we need to know why do we do it. And he tells us, verse 14. We have come to share in Christ. You've come to share in Christ. 
when you see a brother or sister doing something that is destructive to them, the reason that we hold people accountable is because they're not living true into who they are in Christ. The reason that we walk in, in, in purity is because Christ has made you pure. And in the sight of God, you cannot be made dirty or unclean. The reason that we do this is because we walk along people and we remind them that this, that in Christ you share everything that you possibly need. In Christ, you don't just find forgiveness. In Christ, you don't just find fullness of righteousness. In Christ, you don't just find the person who bears the wrath for your sin. In Christ, you find the relationship that your soul needs with God. And it's only in Christ, through faith in Him, can you have that. So as Christians, the greatest thing that the author of Hebrews could give us after all this is he's saying this, what you need is this. You need to realize and remember that you share in Christ. The greatest thing that your soul needs is not the approval of another human being. The greatest thing your soul needs is not a gift that God can give. The greatest thing you need is not a healthy marriage or relationship, a degree or anything like this. The greatest thing that you need as a Christian is to know this, that you share in Christ. That everything that Christ has, he's given to you. What is that? How much approval does God the Father have of Christ the Son? Full approval. And you are hidden in Christ, so God approves of you. How much does God the Father love God the Son? Immeasurably. How much does God love you? Immeasurably. These are the things that you share in Christ. Then he goes on to say this. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So what do we need to do? We need to hold our original confidence firm to the end. Here here it is. Rick, do you have something brand new for us this morning, please? No, no. I have the same thing week in and week out, and it's the gospel. The reality is is that the author of Hebrews says right here, if we indeed hold our original confidence, he does not say a new confidence, he says our original confidence, original back to the beginning. So he says, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So what do we need? We need confidence, not in ourselves, not in our performance, not in our behavior, not in anything we do. As Christians, we have to go back Two, our original confidence is now our present confidence and it's our future confidence and that is Christ. That Christ has done enough, that Christ is enough, that he provides enough. Do you know that if you are not, here's what accountability has to be. First and foremost, it has to be this. Sadly, accountability has turned into behavior modification or some form of moralism. What I mean by that is people get, this drives me crazy, so just so you guys know, uh, is people get together and they sit around in a circle and they ask one another, how are you doing with lust? How are you doing with pornography? How are you doing with this sin? How are you doing with that sin? I think those are good questions to ask, but foundationally and fundamentally, we need to ask people, how are you doing believing that Christ is enough, that Christ has paid enough, and that Christ has done enough? How are you doing believing the truth of who God is and who his nature is and who he says to be? How are you doing in believing that in Christ you have everything you've needed provided? How are you doing believing that your confidence is not in what you've done last night or today or anything this week? How are you doing in believing that you are not loved by God based upon how well you keep people accountable, based upon the magnitude of your belief? How are you doing believing and trusting in the sufficiency that Christ has done enough and paid enough? That's what accountability has to be, and it starts there. And then from there, we can ask all the other questions. Because ultimately, what we need to hold our brothers and sisters accountable, I want this for my wife, I want this for me. I want my brothers in Christ to come along me and say, Rick, how are you doing believing the gospel? Are you resting and trusting in your own perfection that you can keep your favor with God, that you can earn your favor with God? Are you actually trusting and believing that you're perfect in God's sights through faith in Jesus Christ? 
I want that for me. I want that for my wife. I want that for our church family. I want accountability to who we are in Christ and what we share in Christ. I believe that's what he's saying, is that we're calling people to our original confidence. So good questions to ask for your discipleship groups, for your gospel communities, is where's your confidence lying? Where's there unbelief in your heart? Where are you not believing the gospel? Where are you not believing that Jesus has done enough or paid enough? Asking these questions are good. Asking these questions to our spouses, to people that we're in relationships with, to our gospel communities is key. Asking hard questions is really key. If you're in a relationship, you need to have people in your life asking you, how are you doing believing the gospel that, that Christ has done enough that you are pure so you're living into that purity? Back to the starting point. I'll close is I had a choice in the vehicle with my wife that day to either stay awake, encourage her, say, use, use, use cruise control, this baby's got it, use something like that, or to sit by and fall asleep. And in our lives, sadly, what happens is this, is that instead of being proactive in the Christian face, we're oftentimes reactive. And so we wait till crisis happens. We wait till something goes wrong and then we say, I need accountability. I'm, I'm telling us, and not me, sorry. God's word is telling us, so don't take it from me, take it from him, that we need to be proactive in doing this for one another. In fact, I've only heard one person from our church ever, our community, that's went up to someone else and said, hey, are there areas in my life where I can grow, where you see that I need to grow? Why would it be good for us to ask questions like that? Why would it be good for us to have someone challenging us where our confidence lies? Here's why. Because our tendency is to put on fig leaves and build up an image that we have built that's not who we are in Christ. And when I have accountability, what actually happens is when people press me is they're pulling off fig leaves in, in, in my life, things that I've put on that's not Christ, things that I'm covering myself with that's an image that I've built, not that Christ has given me. And so what community comes along and, and, and does is encourage us who we are in Christ, but they start to pull fig leaves off and that makes us feel naked, but they remind us, hey, you don't need those. You're clothed in Christ. Do you know that when I, my, my wife and I have the biggest argument is this. I told her shepherding this week lately. I've been like, as soon as my wife says anything, my hands are going up. I'm in fight mode, right? I'm ready just to, just, as soon as she says something, I'm ready just to jab back. Why? Because what has happened is my confidence is no longer in, uh, it, it, it hasn't been in Christ. What it is is it's about me upholding a level of perfection and my wife needing to see that and build that up. And so what I'm doing is not resting in who I am in Christ. When she challenges me on something, I need to go, I can receive that. Because in Christ, I'm perfect, not in and of Rick himself. Amen?